Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Listener, you're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of three rounds of frightening fiction about lurid lodgings, villainous vehicles, and devilish decay. I'm your host, Steve Taylor. And tonight, I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring the frightening fiction of Seth Paul, Dylan Corey, and J.M. Sinamo to life are voice talents Eric Peabody, Jack Delmar, and Jason Hill. Now, get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to... Turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Our first tale tonight is a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights exclusive original tale written by Seth Paul and voiced by our 2019 Evil Idol voice acting competition second place runner up, Eric Peabody. In it, a gentleman trying to get away from it all spends the night in a local motel with plenty of vacancies. However, his room is not the only one occupied, and his noisy neighbors aren't there for, shall we say, rest and relaxation, but rather something far more insidious. 
Without further ado, I present to you the Ophidian Motel. I didn't plan on staying at a motel that night. My apartment is normally a perfectly nice, pleasant, and comfortable place to stay. Unfortunately, the notice on the door of the building said we had to make other arrangements for the next two days. Why, the note didn't say, but I heard a neighbor had overheard the super talking about termites or something. It was especially upsetting because with everything else going on out in the world, travel wasn't exactly the greatest thing to be doing right now. Chances were he was even lying about it, that he just wanted the building to himself so he didn't catch anything. But choosing between having to shore up somewhere and having bug spray in my nose and on my toothpaste, I'd take my chances with the unknown. I don't have family close by, and all of my friends were huddled together with their families and didn't have the space for me anyway, so I started driving around. Most hotels were dark, save for a few cars in the parking lot, and had signs up saying they had no public rooms available. The Ophidian Motel was the only place I could go that was open, and by the look of it not too many people were interested in taking them up on the offer. I couldn't blame them. The place probably hadn't been properly sanitized in months. It was one of those single-level places that try to look quaint on the outside, but you know nothing quaint happens behind those closed doors. Still and all, it was the only game in town for me, and with it being a few blocks from the interstate and my apartment, it was convenient enough that if things went bad I could go back to my super's apartment and sleep in front of his door if I needed to. Hell, even if he made up the bug spraying just to get everyone away from him until this all blew over, maybe this would make him change his mind. I went in to see the front desk clerk. Bored, young, looking at his phone and sighing. I went up and handed over my card. Two nights, please. He looked up at me, and then at his phone. You know, you should probably be home. This stuff affects the older population way worse than the rest of us. Dick, I'm not that old. And even if I was, he didn't need to be talking that way. Not the time. Two nights, please. He handed me a bunch of paperwork, and while I filled it out, I nearly jumped as the big green phone at the desk rang. I looked at the clerk, who ignored it. I wondered if he even knew what it was. Aren't you going to answer that? He shook his head. This time of night, it's always robocalls or prostitutes. One tries to take my money and the other one I can't afford. Cute. I finished my paperwork and waited until he swiped my card and gave me a room key. An actual key, not one of those keycard things everybody uses. He sprayed it with disinfectant and handed it over. He held up the bottle. Want me to spray you, too? I looked at him, and then at the bottle, which was a bleach-based Lysol knockoff. No, but I recommend you keep spraying yourself if you need to. Don't need to catch anything from an old fart like me. I left, watching him shrug, then spray down the counter where I was. 
I didn't expect much from the room, but then I don't think many people ever do. Still, it was more pleasant than I expected, with a microwave, mini bar, widescreen TV, though one of those cheapy ones that sell for 50 bucks at your local retail store with no name brand on it, a round table and chair, and a queen-sized bed. I was surprised it didn't have a quarter-operated magic fingers machine attached to the bed, though some bolt holes in the frame and headboard suggested it might have had one years ago. There were only two doors in the room besides the entry door. The one to the bathroom, big enough to fit half a person comfortably, and the door to the adjoining room, next to the head of the bed. Not even space for a closet. I tossed what clothes I had brought onto the chair, turned on the TV, and settled in on the bed. After a few minutes, I remembered there was a vending machine outside and figured I'd grab a snack and a drink. When I left the room, I could hear the TV set almost as clear as day, even as far as ten feet away from the room. Paper-thin walls. <sighs> Figured. I was at least glad there didn't seem to be anyone else here, not only so I wasn't bothering anybody, but hopefully I wouldn't be hearing anyone… well, enjoying the company of each other would be a nice way of putting it. I went to the vending machine, situated on the wall next to the office, and was about to put in my dollar when I heard the desk phone ring again. Jeez. Even in the office, the walls were thin. But I heard the clerk pick up. Funny. I thought he said it was all robocalls this time of night. I held off putting in my dollar for a moment. If I could hear him, chances are he could hear me and I kind of wanted to hear what kind of call he was getting. Might be worth a chuckle, if anything. Hello? Yeah, sorry, couldn't answer earlier. Taking a reservation. No, 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 wait, I, I know, I know, but trust me, you'll be fine. Look, you know me. I wouldn't let it bother you. It's just one guy. It'll be fine. Okay, see you in a bit. The phone clicked. I began to wonder who that was on the other end of the line, but then it clicked. He said robocalls and prostitutes. Even if they weren't for him, he probably had some kind of side arrangement with people who did. Who knows, maybe I'd catch sight of a local celebrity. TV anchor, city council, <laughs> my super. Anybody was possible. Guess I would be hearing loud, obnoxious noises through the wall tonight after all. Even if they took a room all the way at the other end of the motel, I'd probably still hear it. I waited a minute or two before I bought my stuff, acting like I hadn't been standing outside listening the whole time, then went back to my room, climbed into bed, left the TV running, and called it a night. Even with the infomercials playing, I was still woken up by the sound of a car door slamming and footsteps. Now, I expected to hear two, maybe three pairs, but the scuffling I heard outside was a lot more than that. It had to have been a group of six, seven people easy, but definitely not the sounds of a John and his lady going off to spend the night. I also heard more than that. It was muffled, 
but I could hear someone sobbing, moaning like they had a gag in their mouth. I almost rushed to the window to look out when I heard voices in the parking lot. It was the front desk clerk and another. A deeper voice, but hoarse, like he had done a lot of coughing or yelling lately. The room is ready. Just like always, man. I'm telling you, there's no better time than tonight. And just the one guest. Haven't seen anyone else, and it's just been his car in the parking lot. Then take care of it in the usual way. And keep it quiet. And this is yours. I heard something change hands, and as one set of feet shuffled away, the other stayed in place, and I could hear something flicking, like someone digging through a roll of money. This was not some typical sex-related side business going on. I was wondering what I had gotten myself into when I heard keys jingling and my doorknob started to unlock. I pretended to be asleep. It may not have been the best thing for me to do, but it was all I could think of. I think part of me was just scared of what was happening, and the other part wanted to see what was going on. With one eye squinted, I watched in the hazy light of the TV as the door opened and the clerk came in. He kept an eye on the bed while moving to the table, where he took my keys and put them in his pocket. If it had stopped at stealing my car, probably with the intent to chop shop it, I could have lived with that. Just gone on my merry way and ignored the weirdness going on here. But after he pulled out the switchblade and popped it open, I knew, no matter what, I wasn't going to be killed over it. Not without a fight. I snored slightly and shifted a little. Those made him hesitate and take a step back. I took the opportunity to flop my arm over the bed. He waited a minute or so longer and then moved closer, holding the knife low. It looked like he planned to hold my mouth and plunge the knife in underhand, stabbing me as much as possible before I could react. Had I actually been asleep, he may very well have succeeded. He'd done this before, I could tell. He came in close, ready to cover my mouth. He leaned up against the bed. With my free arm, I grabbed the back of his jeans, finding his hamstring, and squeezed. He was so surprised that he yelped for a moment, loosening his grip on the knife, and he tried to drop to one knee. Letting go of his leg, I grabbed his head and slammed it into the headboard as hard as I could. He fell to the floor. I went into his pocket and got my keys, took the knife from the floor, and left him there. I didn't know if he was dead, and I didn't care. I had thankfully slept in my clothes, so all I had to do was grab my bag of stuff and get out. 
I went to the car and was about to hop in when I looked over at the other rooms in the Ophidian. I saw one that had lights on in it. Not lamplight, but a flickering, low light, like a room full of candles. There was a low sound, like chanting, several voices all speaking at once, and in the midst of it, the terrified sobbing I had heard earlier, sounding like it was getting more desperate. I looked out at the street. Even at this late an hour, cars would be bustling by. But now, nothing. Everyone was terrified as it was. I doubt the police would even be able to come in time. I really wish I knew what came over me. I'm no hero, but maybe I was just a little pissed off at almost being murdered while I slept, and I didn't want it happening to anyone else. I went over to the room, and with all the strength I had, I kicked the door. The chain on the inside had been pulled to prevent entry, but the hinges were so old and rotted that it didn't matter. The door flew open the opposite way, leaving the door hanging from the security chain alone. Inside were a group of figures, all in black robes. One stood and moved toward me, and in the middle of the circle I saw a young girl, maybe twelve or thirteen, bound, gagged, nearly naked, and absolutely terrified. The one who came toward me placed his hand over my mouth and, with very little effort, pushed me up against the wall. The hand holding me was gray, wrinkled, almost mummified, but strong enough that I could feel my jaw ready to crack against the pressure. If he had squeezed any harder, it would have broken for certain. This isn't for you. You have seen too much. It was the same deep, hoarse voice that had spoken outside my window. The hood of the robe fell back, and what was underneath was worse than I imagined. A gray, wrinkled head, shriveled, bald. If it had once been a person, it was barely one now. I tried to pull his hand away from my face, but as strong as he was, I could barely manage anything. I could now see, in his other hand, he held a strange, intricate dagger. It had a blade that zigzagged like a snake, and on the handle was a bottle screwed into it like the bottom of an airbrush gun. In the blade itself, there were grooves, as if it was designed to collect blood or something in the bottom of it. As I fought, he seemed to be slowly lowering the blade to a spot near my stomach. He turned to the others. Not as fresh as hers. But will anyone here mind an appetizer before the main course? The others laughed. They all had similar, 
raspy, coughing voices. As he looked away, I tried to dig into my pocket for the switchblade I still had there. I felt it and pulled it out, keeping it hidden as best I could. He turned back and pressed the blade into my stomach. Not far, just the tip of it. While it was painful, the smile he gave me was what panicked me the most and forced me to act. I clicked the switchblade and sliced at his wrist. I expected blood. I expected a grunt of pain. I expected just about anything except what actually happened. His wrist severed completely from his arm and fell to the floor. He looked down at it with his yellow, roomy eyes, more surprised than anything. But where you'd expect to see bone, blood, anything at all, there was just a void. Underneath the gray, wrinkly skin was an empty shell. Or maybe not quite empty. For a moment, I thought I saw something. Greenish-gray, thick, oily, writhing. Like it was going to push its way out of the arm like a tube of toothpaste. The mummified man quickly gripped his wrist hole closed and reached down for his hand as if he meant to keep something from emerging. I saw my chance. With my jaw aching and the puncture wound on my stomach stinging, I ran forward and grabbed the young girl off the floor. The others reached for me, but I slashed out with the knife, and I saw a finger fall here, a hand there, and the one so injured also grabbed their arms fighting to control something that wanted out. The escape itself was a blur. I barely remember anything beyond that until we were both in the car, the keys turned and peeling out of the parking lot. Nobody followed us. I didn't know why and, frankly, I didn't care. I found a brightly lit street corner right off the interstate where I could finally see a few lazy cars drifting by. I tried my best to calm her down, and between my hands and the switchblade, was able to remove her gag and her bonds. I talked to her, asked her name, where she was from, where she wanted me to take her. She gave me everything she could. She had been kidnapped almost a month ago. She had no idea what was going on in the outside world. She'd been locked in a room by herself after somebody had grabbed her while waiting at the bus stop for school, with only occasional bits of food shoved into her cell. Then, today, somebody in a robe, she wasn't sure if it was one of the ones in the room or not, gagged her, bound her, and put a bag over her head and threw her into a car. I wouldn't have believed she didn't go without a fight, 
But after a month of little food and the strength of the man who attacked me, I didn't doubt one person could have done it. I asked her if she knew anything about the people who had taken her. All I know is they wanted me scared. Fear makes it stronger, they said. But she didn't know what that it was. They never said any more. She assumed they didn't need to. After we gave our statements to the police, they were able to call her family and she was reunited. They questioned me for a while and I told them everything, except the fact that the kidnappers were some kind of hideous alien freaks. That I knew they would never believe. They asked if I saw a vehicle to run a license plate. I told them I hadn't bothered because I just wanted to get the hell out of there. Don't want to believe my story? That's fine. I don't blame you. Anybody can make up anything online. But I can tell you this. I've learned a few things since that night. First, I found out what it was. Adrenochrome. It's a substance everybody has in them, made by the adrenal glands. It's out there if you want to buy it, but rumors say that there are certain people that get off on the high it produces, that it can extend life, and the only way to produce the best is to induce fear. And the best fear comes from younger people. Well, based on what I saw that night, maybe something tempted people, powerful people, to sample this stuff, and now they can't get on without it. They need to keep their existence a secret to go on with their horrible, extended lives, snatching health and joy from the lives of people, especially children. Is it any wonder why there's a market out there for the slave trade? I've since moved out of my apartment, and I've sold my car. Front desk clerk has my credit card info, and probably my license plate. If I killed him or not that night, chances are someone has my information, and I need to hide it. But I haven't even gotten to the best part. See, I did see a local celebrity that night. I've been to his website. He's running for re-election, local city council, just as I guessed. And he just put out a video. Looks like a perfectly healthy 37-year-old. Thing is, his dad was a city council member too. I've seen pictures. Funny how both of them look exactly the same. They've been doing this for a long, long time. I saved one, but how many haven't been? How many have been drained by that awful knife? 
but I still think the most horrible thing is what tried to escape from that wrist that night. Something saw an opening and was trying to force its way into this world. Something so monstrous, even they tried to keep it held within. Something held back, protected by only a paper-thin surface. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. I hope you enjoyed the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights exclusive tale, The Ophidian Motel, as written by Seth Paul and performed by Eric Peabody. If you enjoyed Eric's performance, Check out more of his narrations via our Evil Idol 2019 playlist, available on our official YouTube channel. Though Eric didn't take home the crown this year, he was the frontrunner for the first three rounds of our competition and came very close. I'm confident you'll enjoy his performances of his self-authored tales from this past year's contest as much as you did this one. Thanks for your support of our talent. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you, as written by author Dylan Corey and performed by Jack Del Mar. In it, our protagonist is unnerved by the repeat appearance of a distinctive yellow car, whose driver seems determined to get to know him and his family better. Without further ado, I present to you the people in the old yellow car. My mother and I live in a relatively small Midwest town of approximately 10,000 people. In a town this small, it's common to run into many of the same people during your daily routine, as people tend to take the same roads and have the same destinations. Knowing this, it might not sound odd that for the past month or so, every time my mother goes out driving, she sees the same car. My mother couldn't tell me the exact year and model, but she knows it's a small, 
shabby looking car with a fading yellow paint job. She's never gotten close enough to get a good look at the people in the vehicle, but she says it's always two people. But these details are unimportant, if I don't explain what it is about this car that's strange. As I said, it's normal to see the same people during your daily routine. But whenever my mother spots these people, they're always coming from a different direction, and she always spots them at a slightly different time, so it doesn't seem like they're following a schedule. Stranger still, whenever my mother has had to make any unplanned trips, she always spots this vehicle. A quick drive to the grocery store for some milk at 9 at night? They're waiting in the light as she pulls out of the parking lot. A rush to the hospital at 3 in the morning after my sister broke her ankle? My mother spots a single vehicle on the way there, which happened to be them. Now, this could all be explained by coincidence. The human mind likes to find patterns in random events. A week ago, I would have said there's a good chance that we could spot the same pattern with any other vehicle if we decided to focus on one. We do live in a small town after all. But now, I can't say that after what happened last night. While at home last night around 9, I got a call. My mother was in the hospital after being involved in a fairly minor accident on her way home from one of her late night grocery runs. I was reassured that her injuries were minor cuts and bruises and she would be fine, but they wanted to keep her hospitalized for a bit to make sure she didn't have any head injuries. I went to the hospital to see her. When I walked into the room, she was awake and watching television. But I could tell she wasn't focused on the show. What happened? I asked. She jumped a bit in her bed, startled, and I apologized. I was shocked to hear that the accident was her fault. My mother is one of the best drivers I know. Apparently, she rear-ended someone pretty badly and ended up totaling the front end of her vehicle. After she told me this, she began sobbing quietly. This was another thing that was extremely out of character for my normally tough, upbeat mom. I comforted her and told her it would be fine, but she said it wouldn't. I wanted to ask how she had been distracted enough to rear-end someone, but I thought now wouldn't be the best time. I could tell my mother really wanted to get something off her chest, though, and she began speaking again. That yellow car. Those people, she mumbled. They passed me, and I turned to see if I could get a glance at who was in there, as I've never really been able to tell. My mother paused. Her hands were shaking violently. I turned to look, and they both looked right back at me. But something wasn't right. Something wasn't right. The tears came back again as she finished. And then I slammed into the car in front of me. I was about to ask what she meant when a nurse came in and asked me to leave. She gave me a dirty look and I assumed she blamed me for upsetting my mother. Fast forward about eight hours and now I'm home, making a lonely pancake breakfast waiting for my mother to be released. They wanted to stay for a few more hours to be sure she didn't get a concussion or whatever. As I'm writing this, I just looked out my window, and I swear I saw an old yellow car matching the description my mother has always given me. I think I'm being paranoid at this point. I need some advice. I don't want to ask my mother what she meant about the people for fear of upsetting her. I'd at least like to wait till she's released. Has anyone ever heard of something like this before? Is this all just a huge coincidence? I'm probably just overreacting.
It's 2.38 in the afternoon. I just returned from picking my mother up from the hospital. My mother asked why I was shaking when I arrived, and I told her I had a cold to keep her peace of mind. I don't have a cold. About an hour ago, I was sitting at home when there was a knock at the door. As you can imagine, I had been paranoid after reading scary stories online and considering what my mother said about the people in the car. So before answering the door, I looked out one of my windows. Parked outside my house was an old car with faded yellow paint. Now, any normal person would probably stay away from the door at this point. I had no idea who these people were, and I still don't. And I had reason to believe they could only mean danger. However, I live on the busiest street in town, and with multiple cars passing by every few seconds, I had a boost in confidence. That, mixed with my curiosity about these people, led me to my front door. I put on the chain lock and opened the door crack. Standing on my front porch were two middle-aged women. Already the details of their appearances are fading. They were wearing cheap, generic-looking clothes, and both wore a pair of sunglasses, despite the fact that it's relatively cloudy today. Both women had frizzy black hair that was graying in multiple spots. I barely had time to take this all in before the one on the right said, Is your mother alright? How do you know where my mother lives? I asked. We're friends of hers, the woman said, and she began to smile an abnormally large smile for a few seconds before her face suddenly straightened out again. You don't know my mother! I was surprised at how much I raised my voice as I slammed the door shut. My heart was racing, despite these women putting me in no obvious danger. I heard another knock. I spun around and began yelling to tell them to leave my property when I noticed the women were both standing by the window. Eyes glued on me. Please let us see your mommy. The one on the left spoke this time. Something about her voice scared the shit out of me, and I have no idea how to explain it to you. I quickly closed all my curtains and yelled once again for them to leave my property. They knocked on windows and called out to me for a few more minutes when suddenly, all the sound ceased. A moment later, I heard what sounded like an old engine start. I waited for a few minutes before I gathered up the courage to open the curtains of my front windows. The car was gone. The phone rang shortly after, and it was my mother. She was released from the hospital, and I needed to pick her up. Due to some medicine she took, my mom was out of it on the way home. I was thankful for this, because as we passed a local gas station, I noticed the same yellow car pulling up to a pump. So here we are at home. My mother's currently sound asleep on the couch. I'm not going to mention anything about what happened to her. I don't know what it was about those women, other than their bad sense of style, that scared my mom so much when she saw them, and now I'm not sure I want to know. All I know is that I need to keep them away from her until I can figure out who they are and what they want. I just heard my mom talking in her sleep, which she rarely does. I can't really make out what she's saying, except she seems to be repeating the word dark. It's 9.58 AM. I never slept last night. Believe me, I tried. I curled up next to my mother on the couch to be sure I'd wake up if anything happened. I assured myself that getting sleep was important. 
yet my eyelids snapped open every time an image of that car popped into my head. I suppose I should consider this a good thing, or it might not have been me who answered the phone when it rang around six in the morning. I shouldn't have answered it. I saw the unknown number on the caller ID. Or maybe it was better that I answered it so they didn't decide to show up at my house again. Either way, I picked up the phone. Hello? How is your mommy? The woman's voice who gave me chills yesterday greeted me. My heart sank to the bottom of my stomach. I began shouting into the phone before I remembered my sleeping mother and lowered my voice to an angry whisper. What do you want? My sentence had barely concluded before an incredibly loud, high-pitched noise blasted out of the phone. I quickly hung up and dropped the phone, my ears ringing and my heart pounding. Immediately after, I called the police and told them the entire story. They asked for the license plate of the car. I had nothing to give them. They asked what number they called from. Nothing to give them. They were just as confused as I was. They promised they would have patrol cars pass my house regularly. But honestly, even if the entire police force of this town was patrolling my house, I wouldn't feel safe at this point. My mother thankfully slipped through all of this. I thought about waking her up and telling her what happened, and maybe getting her to talk with the police. But I'm still not sure it's a good idea to let her know this is all happening. At the same time, another part of me keeps nagging that it will be safer for her if she knows. There was just a knock at the door. I hear my mother waking up on the couch. I opened the door and was assaulted by the light of the sun. As my eyes adjusted after hours of darkness, I was greeted by a man around my age in a t-shirt, jeans, and sunglasses. Hey, is your mom home? He said casually. A warning flag went off immediately in my head, and I was about to tell him to leave when I heard my mother call from behind me. Yes, one moment. She knew this guy? My mother sleepily rose from the couch and strolled over to us, smiling warmly at the guy at the door. Hello, she said. It looked like she wanted to say something else after that, but forgot what she was going to say. Hello, Miranda. It's been a while. He smiled dryly. Mind if I come in? She looked at him. For a moment, her face changed, as if she was suddenly confused, but it quickly snapped back into a welcoming one. She opened her mouth to speak, but I knew something wasn't right. Are you sure you know this guy? I said loudly, not caring that he could obviously hear me. Both their expressions dropped, and my mom looked at me in disbelief. How could you be so rude? She scoffed. The man smirked and slowly swiveled his head toward me, sizing me up, before he turned back to my mother. It's fine. Now may I come in? I slammed the door, and as I did, my mother made a little gasp. I don't know him, she realized. I have never seen that man in my life. There was a loud knock at the door, followed by a young child's voice that still has me shaking as I write this. May I please see your mommy? My mother began crying and I didn't stop yelling. Get off my property! Get off my property! You are not welcome! I stood there, holding my mother, my back against the door until all the sounds stopped. 
I heard a familiar engine sound and looked outside just in time to see a yellow car driving away. The patrol certainly did an excellent job. I have no idea what's going on. I've started spreading salt around all the entrances, although I don't know if that will even help anything. I don't know what to do at this point. I've given up all hope that this might just be some people messing with us. My mother's in a terrible state. She hasn't stopped crying, and she has her face stuffed in a pillow. I'm going to go comfort her. I think I might get us out of town. My mom eventually calmed down after the incident. I was considering ways I could approach her with my questions, but she actually ended up coming to me. I was on my phone doing research when she approached me. I need to tell you what's happening, she said slowly. I could still see the trace of tears in the corner of her eyes, but I could tell she was trying to put on her old, tough personality. I asked her what she saw in the yellow car that night on the way home from the store. She said that as they drove by her, she turned to look, and both people in the car, the women that I encountered apparently, were staring at her. The streetlights were casting a glow bright enough to see their faces. These women? She trailed off. Their eyes were just... pure blackness. I thought back to the two women and the man. They were all wearing sunglasses. I shuddered violently. None of this shed much light on the situation still. So I asked my mother another question I've needed a good answer to. I asked her if she knew why she was being followed by whatever these things were. She was quiet for a long time before finally mumbling at a barely audible level. Do you remember your father? I guess some of you might have been curious why it's just my mom and I. Well, that's because my number one dad decided to leave my mom when I was just a little kid. Maybe four or five years old. I was very young, so I told her no. I didn't really remember him, nor did I want to. I had a slight edge in my voice because I had a great dislike for my dad, and I didn't see how any of this was relevant. Do you remember what your father drove? Sudden memories. I was riding in a yellow 88 Cadillac with my dad to get ice cream from the local Dairy Queen. I was running after that car as it pulled away without emotion, only to be swept up into my mother's arms telling me everything would be fine. Why do they have dad's car? Was my reaction. I can't believe I called him dad after this long. After trying to forget him and everything associated with him. They don't. I think they're using your negative memories and energy to manifest, my mother explained, and her knowledge of these words surprised me. Or something like that, she added, to clarify she wasn't totally sure what she was talking about. I kicked your father out because of some of the things he was dabbling in. Dark things, she continued. I'd always known he was interested in paranormal research, which was actually one of the reasons I liked him. I was intrigued by that stuff as well, but not long after you were born, he began taking things too far. He wasn't just intrigued, he was obsessed. He spent hours at the computer researching demons and witchcraft. He'd often leave the house without warning to do research. Sometimes he would just disappear for an entire night and come back in a strange state of mind. Not drunk, but dazed seeming. I started finding strange notes around the house 
and evidence of him doing some types of... She paused, choosing the next word carefully. Rituals. At this point, I realized I'd been pressing my hand into my temple and staring out the window, trying to process everything as it was thrown at me. I told him it was too much, but he was different. His personality changed completely. One night, he took you out for one of his research trips without telling me. When he returned, you were both in that strange, dazed state. I demanded him to tell me what he did, but he refused. That was the last straw. I kicked him out, packed up all his stuff and threw it out with him. He told me he expected this, which is why he took you out that night. He said that what he had done would reveal itself when you became a man. I had no idea what this meant, and I mostly forgot about it. Until shortly after you graduated, I began seeing this familiar car around town. I mentioned it to you and pretended it was just some sort of weird coincidence, when I really wanted you to be aware of it in case something happened to me. I was at the grocery store that night to pick up last minute supplies. I've been stocking up for us to get out of here for the last few weeks. And that's when I finally saw just what those things driving the car were. The last few minutes of the conversation were going slowly, as my mom had to compose herself after every few sentences. I don't know what they are. I have no idea what your dad did, and what your or my connection are to these things, but we need to get out of here somehow. I finally interjected at this point and told her that as long as we were in this house, we should be safe, as the things couldn't seem to get in without our permission. So now, we both have no idea what to do. Part of us wants to run because we don't know if it's more than just these black-eyed things after us. And if it is just them, how long can we wait them out? We need a way out of this. Black-eyed people apparently need something from you and ask to be invited in. But why do they all keep coming to us? I need help. I don't even know where I should begin researching. I'm very scared now. I've never been this afraid. I let one in. I, it tricked me. It looked like my friend, who I haven't talked to since I graduated. And when he came to the door, I just... I completely forgot about everything that's been happening. As soon as I let it in, I realized what I did. I grabbed my mother, and we ran to the bathroom and locked the door. And now we're trapped in here. I can hear it on the other side of the wall. It won't stop asking to be let in. May I please see your mommy? I don't know what to do right now. There's no way out of the bathroom except by a window, and though we live on a busy street, I'm fearful we won't be safe outside. It's still early in the morning, and I don't know what these things can do. My mom's laptop was in here, but I couldn't grab my phone before we ran in. My throat's sore from shouting. I let it in the house. It won't leave now. I can't get it to leave. One is looking through the bathroom window now. It's staring straight at us. The window is seven feet up. How is it at head level? They're both repeating in sync now. Can, Can I, I see your mother, please? My mom and I are curled up repeating prayers and asking them to leave, but nothing is working.
I hope you enjoyed The People in the Old Yellow Car, as written by Dylan Corey and performed by Jack Del Mar. Up next, we've got a third and final dose of darkness for you, as written by J.M. Sinamo and performed by host of the Horror Hill podcast, Jason Hill. In it, we'll meet a gentleman and his family who've just moved into their new abode. Unfortunately, their basement is rumored to be haunted. It sounds absurd, but what if it's not? Without further ado, I present to you Black Mold. Tommy Illman was only seven years old when his parents bought the house on Tamara Lane. Though it was no mansion by any stretch of the imagination, the five-bedroom raised ranch-style home seemed like a palace compared to the one-bedroom studio apartment he and his parents had lived in prior. His dad loved to brag about the size of the new house. He said that it had even had a finished basement. I thought the whole house was finished, Tommy said, confused by the term. His father laughed. Yes, Tommy, he replied. The whole house is finished. It just means the basement is set up to use as an activity room or a den or even bedrooms. Tommy gasped. You mean I have to sleep in the basement? This idea clearly upset him and his protest continued until his mother interrupted. Of course not, sweetie, she assured him in a low, soothing tone. You can pick which room you want as yours. His eyes lit up. Before he had a chance to respond, he was cut off by his dad. Except the master bedroom. Tommy let out a disapproving humph. He hated that his father always seemed to know what he was thinking. He figured that was just one of the perks of being a grown-up. As they stepped through the front door, Tommy squealed with delight. He dashed off through the living room, into the kitchen and down the main hall to look at the rooms. Though the size of the master bedroom was impressive... He was equally satisfied with the other two rooms on the main floor. He returned to the hall and pointed at a door that sat just off the kitchen. What's that? Is it the basement? His dad nodded. Tommy turned the knob and slowly opened the door. He was greeted by a wooden staircase that plunged downward into a dark, wide-open room. He turned to his parents. Fear painted across his innocent face. It's okay, just turn on the light. The switch should be on the left wall. Show me your left. Tommy lifted his left hand slowly. His parents smiled and nodded encouragingly. He slowly slid his hand along the wall until he felt the switch. With a click, the light above the stairs came on, forcing the darkness to retreat. Tommy gave a weak smile, then carefully began to descend the stairs. The basement was much larger than he'd expected, and far less scary with the lights on. The main room was the length of the entire first floor, big enough to run around in or even play a game of tag. Two bedrooms sat against one of the longer walls with a small half-bathroom between them. As Tommy marveled at the size of the basement, he was startled by loud footsteps on the stairs behind him. I thought the basement was supposed to be finished, his mother said with disappointment in her voice. The walls are just bare cinder block, and the floor isn't even carpeted. Only the main room needs carpeting. The bedrooms are carpeted and the bathroom is ready to go. And I like the cinder block walls. Gives it a certain vibe, his father responded, placing a reassuring hand on her shoulder. His mother scoffed. Yeah, like a dungeon. Tommy laughed. Sure, the concrete floor and gray cinder block walls weren't exactly homey, but the space definitely made up for it. 
Tommy peeked his head into one of the small rooms. I like it down here, he said excitedly. Can this be my room? His parents looked at him with a mixture of confusion and shock. Oh, come on, he pleaded. This room can be my bedroom, and this room can be like a game room, Tommy explained, walking through the adjoining bathroom. I'm a big boy now, and this way I can make noise and play video games and have friends over and practice karate and... His parents started chuckling. His mother gave him a comforting smile. Okay, okay. If you really like it, then I guess we can give it a shot. If you change your mind, we can always move you to an upstairs room. Tommy gave his mom and dad a big hug. Hey, Tommy began as he looked toward the far corner of the main room. What's that? He pointed his tiny index finger at a large rebar grate in the floor. His dad walked over to it and peered inside. Hmm, looks like an old drainage grate. Bone dry in there now. Must have been used to drain water from the basement during construction before it was floodproofed. Don't worry, though. Realtors said they sealed it up real good like a submarine. Tommy giggled. He loved submarines and boats. With a thumbs up, his dad reassured him this would be the best room in the house. That first winter was very trying for Tommy and his family. Repeated snowstorms brought over five feet of snow and temperatures that dipped well below zero. Of course, these conditions bothered his parents much more than they did him. Even though he couldn't play outside due to the winter advisory that was in effect, the schools were closed, and he got to stay in and play video games with his neighbor and new best friend, Ryan Fisher. He was slightly older than Tommy, and though the age difference was only by a couple of months, Ryan loved to rub it in Tommy's face. However, Tommy didn't pay attention to any of his teasing. In fact, he thought this behavior only showed that even though Ryan was older, he wasn't any more mature. So, what made your parents buy a haunted house? Ryan asked, never taking his eyes off the video game they were playing. What do you mean haunted? It's not haunted, Tommy protested, having lived in the supposedly haunted house for several months. Ryan shrugged, eyes still glued to the TV screen. People say it's haunted. They say the last guy who lived here liked to lure kids down to the basement with candy. Then he would kill them and eat them. They say he killed himself when he heard the police were coming to get him and... Boo! Ryan shouted and lunged at Tommy, causing him to let out a high-pitched yelp and drop his controller. He punched Ryan in the arm and began using words that would surely get him grounded if his mother heard him say them. That night at the dinner table, Tommy decided to break the usual silence with his newfound information. Ryan says our house is haunted. His parents stopped eating and waited for him to continue. He says a bad man used to live here, and he ate kids in the basement. Naturally, his parents were mortified at what the neighborhood kids said about their house. Sweetie, his mom said, placing a hand on his arm. That's just a scary story the neighborhood kids made up to frighten you. The house isn't haunted, and no one that lived here ate people. Isn't that right, dear? Tommy's dad nodded in agreement. That's right. The realtor said the house had been foreclosed after the original owner had passed away. Tommy gasped at the thought of someone dying here. It's okay, T. The realtor said he was an old man, and it was just his time to go. Nothing to be scared of. Tommy believed his parents. But still, he felt uneasy about the house, especially the basement. 
Can I move my room to one of the upstairs rooms? He asked with a hint of fright in his voice. His parents nodded and told him he could use the guest bed until they moved his things up from the basement. When spring came, the warm weather brought more than the usual birds, flowers, and insects. The enormous snow mounds that had built up over the previous winter had melted into a deluge of water, causing Tommy's entire street to flood. It was then that he and his family found out their finished basement would not live up to its title. One afternoon, as Tommy opened the basement door to get his skateboard and helmet, he found himself staring at several feet of water instead of the bottom of the staircase. The water was dark, smelled of mildew, and appeared thick and viscous. Dad? Tommy yelled down the hall. The basement's flooded! Tommy's dad came running down the hall. When he saw the swamp that sloshed lazily at the base of the stairs, he unleashed a tirade of swears and curses directed at no one in particular, save maybe the basement itself. Tommy's mom rushed in when she heard the yelling and told her son to go play outside, while they got the situation sorted out. He agreed and quickly hurried out to the yard to play, thankful he had moved his bedroom upstairs when he did. After several days of plumbers, home inspectors, and insurance agents coming and going, coupled with his father yelling at what he called the rat bastard realtor, the basement was finally water-free. The inspector told Tommy's parents the original seal had been a slapdash job and the new seal should keep the water out for the coming years. Before he left, he cautioned that they may experience some mold issues, but to get them a call and they would send someone out to handle it. They thanked him and the rest of the workers for doing a quick job and hoped that would be the end of it. Not long after the flooding and repairs, Tommy was woken from a sound sleep by a faint scratching noise at his bedroom floor. He quickly snapped on his bedside light and looked all around his room. He was alone. But the scratching sound persisted. He slowly crept out of bed and placed his ear near the heating vent in his carpet. It was then that he realized it wasn't scratching he was hearing. It was whispering. The voice rasped like the sound of dry leaves scraping on pavement. Tommy, please. Come down here. I want to meet you. Tommy was frozen with terror, but mustered all of his courage to respond. Who... who are you? He asked, voice trembling. The whispering returned. I'm a genie. The voice lied. I was trapped down here until the water set me free. I have so wanted to meet you and your family. I've listened to you for months, hoping I would be set free. So I can grant you wishes. Tommy grabbed his flashlight and made his way down the hall. He carefully approached the basement door. He reached out with his tiny hand, placed it on the knob, and slowly opened the door. As the hinges squealed and groaned, the batteries in his flashlight died. 
Tommy let out an audible yelp, then quickly cupped his free hand over his mouth. He peered into the inky blackness of the basement, too scared to descend the stairs, or even reach out for the light switch in the wall. In the darkness, he swore he saw a shape moving at the base of the stairs. As his eyes adjusted, the shape appeared to be a person, swaying back and forth like a tree caught in a light breeze. Tommy swallowed hard as the shadowy figure lazily lulled from side to side. Then, the unthinkable happened. The shadow took a step. Tommy screamed as the figure moved slowly up to the next step, still swaying side to side. Without warning, the light above him flashed on, and the shadow vanished. Tommy? His dad's voice boomed from behind him. Tommy screamed and quickly turned to face him. What are you doing out of bed, son? Tommy was taking increasingly deep breaths. He raised his arm and pointed to the bottom of the stairs, not daring to turn and face what might still be lurking below. His father looked past him and gave an exasperated sigh. Tommy turned to see what was wrong and why he wasn't running in terror. On the wall, at the bottom of the stairs, was a large black stain. Ah, great. Just what we needed. His father let out another sigh. Mold. Come on, Tommy, get back to bed. We'll deal with this in the morning. As Tommy followed his father back down the hall, he glanced back, filled with dread. His father didn't see it, but he did. The mold wasn't only on the wall. There were two dark stains on the two most bottom stairs as well. The next day, Tommy told Ryan what had happened. Oh, dude, you're full of crap, Ryan exclaimed. That story I told you is something we all tell the new kid to scare them. There's no ghost or genie or whatever in your basement. The old dude that lived here just croaked. Oh, don't be such a baby. But it's true, Tommy argued back. I can prove it. Tommy walked with Ryan over to the basement and swung the door open. What do you call that? Tommy asked, triumphantly pointing at the dark spot on the wall. Ah, uh, mold, you dingus. All the houses have it after the flooding. Tommy pointed his finger at the stairs. What, well, what about those footprints? Explain that, Tommy said, challenging his assertions. Ryan shook his head slowly. Still just mold, dude. Tommy was starting to get angry. His parents hadn't believed his story either and dismissed the shadowy creature as a nightmare. Ryan flicked on the overhead light and started down the stairs. Come on, Tommy. Let's find this basement, Genie. Before Tommy could stop him, Ryan had already disappeared into the basement. Tommy quickly caught up to his friend, who was now standing in the far corner near the drainage grate. Ryan gestured at the floor surrounding it. Dark, greenish-black spots encircled the small opening in the surrounding walls. See, dude? Mold! It sucks, but it's just mold. Before Tommy could argue, the two of them were startled by a loud bang. The basement door had swung shut. 
Tommy ran back to the steps to see if maybe one of his parents had accidentally closed it, not knowing they were down there. But before the word mom could escape his lips, the basement light blew with a sharp pop. Come on, Tommy. This isn't fu- <laughs> Ryan's words were cut short by a blood-curdling scream. Tommy squinted in the darkness, too frightened to move from the base of the steps. He stared at the far corner as unimaginable fear washed over him in waves. Even without the light, he could make out the horrible scene that was unfolding before him. The shadowy figure had returned and was wrapped around Ryan. Only this time... It looked far less human than the night before. Numerous limbs, claws, and tendrils groped, slapped, and squeezed his friend until the screaming stopped. Tommy saw the shadows lower his friend's limp body to the floor. Tommy, the shadows whispered. I'm still hungry, Tommy. The dark mass shambled toward him, twitching and chuckling. Will you feed me, Tommy? Will you bring me more food? Tommy began to sob. He knew that this was the end. He knew this creature would squeeze the life out of him like it did Ryan. Then it would get his parents. He closed his eyes and braced himself. What the hell are you kids doing down here? His father yelled from the stairs, flashlight in hand. Didn't I say it wasn't safe to be down here because of the... He didn't finish his sentence. Tommy's dad cupped a hand over his mouth as tears began to form in his eyes. Oh my god. Ryan. Tommy. Tommy, what happened? What did you do? The shadows had retreated once again. Tommy ran to his father and wrapped his arms around him, hot tears stinging his eyes. It was the mold, Dad. It was the mold. The coroner's report had ruled Ryan's death an accident. They said it appeared he had suffocated from an intense allergic reaction from the mold spores in the illman's basement. They said that situations like this were rare but not unheard of in young children. Ryan's parents, however, did not accept this explanation. Instead, they took their sadness and frustration out on Tommy and his family. This is all his fault! Ryan's mother screamed through tears, pointing an accusatory finger at Tommy. That little bastard did something to him! He's sick! Their whole family is sick! Mr. Fisher tried to calm his wife down, but the same pained, judgmental look lingered on his face. Honey, he began, not here, not like this. Ryan's closed casket sat just a few feet away on a small white altar, adorned with flowers, stuffed animals, and photos of the now-deceased boy. Tommy hid behind his parents and burst into tears, his small voice trembling. It was the mold monster, Mrs. Fisher. 
Tommy struggled to get the words out. The sudden loss of his new best friend gripped him in fear and anxiety that would not shake loose. Mrs. Fisher approached the Illmans, hatred and pain in her eyes. The only monster is you! Get out! Out! With that, the funeral director approached the Illmans and firmly asked them to leave. After Ryan's funeral, things only got worse for Tommy and his parents. The voices and shadows had stopped, but his fear of their return kept him awake most nights. One evening, when he should have been sleeping, he heard his parents arguing in the living room. Tommy's mother wanted to sell the house and move. We can't stay here, she pleaded. The mold is dangerous and Tommy is terrified. His best friend died down there. His father met her concerns with anger. We can't just leave. We suck so much money into this goddamn house. Who's going to want to buy it after a little boy just died here, huh? I had that shit in the basement cleaned best I could, and I filled the damn drainage grate with cement. What more do you want from me? What about our son? She screamed. Don't you give a shit about him? He won't sleep. He barely eats. He won't even go near the basement. He is traumatized. Tommy's dad paced back and forth, hands covering his face. Fine. Fine. Take him to therapy. Get some help. He's obviously all screwed up. I told him not to play in the damn basement. You do whatever you want, but I am not leaving. His mother grabbed her coat and stormed down the hall to Tommy's room. Get up, sweetie, she said, lightly shaking Tommy's shoulder. We're going to stay with Aunt Linda and Uncle Steve. Tommy slipped on his shoes, took his mother's hand, and the two of them drove off into the night. Tommy didn't see much of his father after that fight. He and his mother stayed with his aunt and uncle until they were able to find an affordable townhouse. For the first few years after his parents separated, his father would come and visit a few times a year, but the constant bickering with his ex-wife made his visits less and less frequent. Until one day, they stopped altogether. Tommy attended therapy at the behest of his mother and school guidance counselor to help cope with what he had witnessed in the basement. After years of therapy, he eventually came to terms with Ryan's death being a freak accident caused by severe anaphylactic shock. True, he still had his fears of basements, sewer grates, and mold, but he tried not to let it interfere with his day-to-day -day life. The visions and voices all seemed to vanish the night he and his mother left the moldy old house. Now 18, Tommy had decided to leave the townhouse he and his mother called home for the past 11 years and rent his own small place in the city. His new apartment was barely bigger than the living room of the townhouse he'd just left, but it was closer to campus, and he could even walk to work if he had to. One evening, as he was just getting in from work, the weather took a terrible turn. Rain had been hammering down for hours. The gutters below Tommy's apartment filled with rushing water and debris. This type of weather always made him anxious. Thunder boomed just above, shaking his windows. He closed his eyes and tried to tell himself it was just a storm. As the noise from the growing storm raged on, 
his mantra was broken by the sound of his cell phone. The phone jingled to life with a number he did not recognize. Tommy nervously pressed the accept button. Hello? Tommy speaking? There was a pause. He heard someone on the other end breathing heavily. Tommy, it's, um, it's Dad. I know it's been a long time since we last spoke, but I heard you moved to your own place and we're going to college and I, I just wanted to see how you were. Tommy sat silent for what felt like an eternity. There were so many things he wanted to say to him, wanted to shout at him. He took a deep breath and closed his eyes. I'm, I'm fine, Dad. Thanks. Been keeping busy. Work, school, you know. He heard his dad chuckle on the other end. It had been so long since he had heard his father's laugh that he forgot how soothing it could be. You sound so big now, T. I'm sorry, I let... I let time get away from me like that. I should have been there for you and I wasn't. I hope I can make it up to you, son. Anyway, I have some news you might like to hear. I know how much you hated that old house after your friend Ryan passed away. Um, well, I just heard from our old realtor that they tore it down to make way for condos or something like that. Isn't that great? <laughs> Tommy felt his heart sink. Tore it down. Even the basement? Tommy asked, fear causing the hairs on the back of his neck to prickle. Uh, yeah, um, even the basement. It's great, right? Before Tommy could respond, his living room light flickered and went out. The room filled with a wet and rotted odor as the vague shadows began to shift around him. Dad, Tommy nervously whispered into the receiver. They let it out. They broke the cement in the grate and they let it out, Dad. His eyes darted around the room, phone still pressed to his ear. The silhouette seemed to dance and weave with every move he made. Tommy, calm down, okay? We've been over this. There's nothing in that basement that can hurt... His father's words were cut short. He pulled the phone away from his ear. The screen was blank. Dark. Dead. Panicked, he bolted for the front door. Tommy! Where are you going, Tommy? The whispered voice of the shadows asked from just in front of his only means of escape. Something was different this time. This time, the shadows had more than one voice speaking in unison. Ryan. Ryan, is that you? Tommy choked out between stunted breaths. We're, We're hungry, hungry again, again Tommy. Tommy. We haven't eaten in years. You're, You're going, going to feed us, Tommy. You're... Going to feed us. The engulfing darkness slithered through the air, wrapping Tommy in their damp embrace. The stench of mold and decay filled his nose. The inky blackness wriggled and squirmed in and out of his mouth. 
The shadows blanketed his eyes and filled his ears until all fell dark and silent. Tommy's father came bursting through the front door of the small apartment. He knew he hadn't been the best dad, but he had to see what happened to his son when he heard the panic and fear in his voice. He needed to be sure that everything was going to be okay. But it wasn't okay. Nothing was okay. In the small beam of light that trickled into the apartment from the outside hall, he saw the lifeless form of what used to be his little boy sprawled on the floor. He rushed over and held his son's body in his arms. Silent, weak sobs escaped him as he rocked back and forth, trying to make sense of what could have happened since they last spoke three years ago. The door to the apartment slowly creaked shut, extinguishing what little light the hall had offered. A damp, moldy smell crept into the room. Tommy's father began to cough and choke with the noxious odors that now seemed to surround him. He raised his head and peeked over the shoulder of his son's corpse. On the other side of the room, the shadows bobbed and weaved from side to side. The squirming mass of darkness lolled toward him. Dad... We're hungry. I hope you enjoyed Black Mold, as written by J.M. Sinamo and performed by Jason Hill. If you enjoyed Jason's performance, check out more of his narrative nightmares on his program, Horror Hill, available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your favorite programs can be found. Thank you for listening and for joining us tonight for this episode of Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. As a reminder, take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave us a five-star review and a kind word, and to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. <laughs> Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, a production of Chilling Entertainment and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted by yours truly, Steve Taylor. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering by executive producer and director Craig Roshek. Logo by Craig Roshek. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? We take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode. 
and leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to us. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew each and every week. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. We'll be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.